Well, certainly with great delight this evening that we're able to sing these songs to our Lord, to our newborn King, and it's great delight that we could hear from Him in His Word this evening, just for a little bit. And uh, It's not on the screen, but if you like, you could turn your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to be exploring a, a handful of verses here in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, as we consider the Lord and the fact that He has come and become like us in every respect, the Bible says. And what does that mean for us, the impact that that has on us? So maybe you found your way to Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 14. If not, just listen to these words of God. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for a moment in which we can consider your word and what Christ has done for us, even as we prepare for this Lord's Supper we're about to participate in as we remember the ultimate work that Jesus has done. And we're reminded that he came and was born and became a man in order that he might die that we might be forgiven of all our sins, that that debt might be paid in Him. And so help us to rejoice in these truths. Help us to draw close to Christ as Your Word even invites us that we might run to Him and find the grace that we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Incarnation, according to some, is, is the greatest miracle has ever occurred. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, called the Incarnation the Grand Miracle. But he's just in a long stream of Christians who understood what Jesus did in, in taking on humanity was, was beyond even our comprehension. In fact, an ancient prayer, perhaps dated to the third century, uh, is recorded as such. We see the most eloquent orators voiceless as fish when they must speak of thee, O Jesus, our Savior. For it is beyond their power to tell how thou art both perfect man and immutable God at the same time. The modern theologian Wayne Grudem puts it this way when he speaks of the Incarnation, saying, It is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible, far more amazing than the resurrection, and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever, so that infinite God became one person with finite man, will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. What an incredible statement as we consider these truths and we think about the fact that, that Jesus, who is the eternal God, who has existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity past, would, would take on flesh and become like one of us, a, a human, a man, becoming in a creator, coming into his creation. And we think about all the benefits in which we have secured because he was willing to do so. And we could, we could list these benefits and, and consider them perhaps for the rest of eternity. But, but tonight I just want to think about this, the idea that Jesus has become like us and is therefore able to, is able to understand us. Jesus is like us and therefore is able to understand us. And I just want to challenge us a little bit tonight, Christians, because sometimes I think 
Now, we, when we ponder the incarnation of Jesus, we think of his humanity maybe as kind of a, a shell in which he wore, kind of a, a facade that he presented. I would like to suggest to you this evening by the, the authority of God's word that Jesus is as much human as you and I are. He is much a man as any of us. He is fully man. In fact, the author in Hebrews back in chapter 2 and verse 17 says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He is just like us in our humanity. He is fully human. And we see this throughout his life. I think it's a great importance to us. Even in his birth, do we not see his humanity? Is that not just a beautiful picture of the humanity of God? That Jesus, the Son of God, would be bundled and nursed and burped like a real baby. That he would wake in the night and he would need to be fed and, and even changed. God himself. It was no ruse. It was no trick. In fact, we, we had read for us tonight the, the nativity events and, and even the scripture says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. It's interesting to me the, the way that Luke describes the, this event, uh, the birth of Jesus. And we understand, I think, why he saw fit to record that he was laid in a manger. Because to do so would be very unusual. In fact, even the angels would come to the shepherds and say, You want to know how you find the baby? He, you find the baby in the feed trough. We'll go look for a baby in a feed trough. And there you will find the Messiah. You will find the Word made flesh. But that's not all Luke records. He says, listen, he says... You, she gave birth to his firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. She swaddled Jesus. She took strips of linen and, and wrapped him tied, which is what you do with babies. My wife, by the way, is the queen of swaddling. She, she could write a book on swaddling. She could teach a course on it. When we have our children and, and the nurse will come in and, and maybe check the baby's vital signs... A legger will wait for that nurse to leave and the door to close and she will say, hand me that baby. And, and she will take that baby and swaddle the baby properly. And I get a little concerned if the baby's head starts to turn red and I'm thinking, isn't this a little too tight? And she will say, no, he's fine. And, and, and the baby feels nice and secure and goes right back to sleep as often does my wife, knowing that he is or she is swaddled, secure. But here... Luke says that Jesus was swaddled. Well, why even mention that? Why tell us that? Of course he's swaddled. He's a baby. Wasn't that exactly the point? That what Luke is trying to tell us is that not only is he God himself, but he is now fully human. And so Mary wrapped him up, kissed him, nursed him, and laid him back in his feed trough that he might sleep. Sometimes I think we have this idea that that Jesus has his human body but a divine mind. And he's lying there as this newborn baby, perhaps an hour old, remembering fondly when he created all things. Or, or maybe he's reading his mother's mind. And we, we think this is what he's like. And we have these manger scenes, right? We have the little figurine of Jesus and, and he has his arms outstretched, doesn't he? The, the babe who's about an hour old or so as if he were receiving adoring worship. Well, friends, he couldn't even lift his arms. He had no control over his arms. I think you should go home tonight, maybe take some tissue cloth and swaddle your baby Jesus because he's swaddled in clothes. He's a, he's a baby. In fact, I appreciate what one author says when writing about this topic. He says, as a real baby in the cradle, he watched his tiny 
clenched fist in uncomprehending fascination, just like any other baby. He did not feign babyhood. He did not say to himself, you think I am a pre-articulate baby discovering my hand. Actually, I am God admiring my brilliant invention. I am your creator and I understand every word you are saying. No, Christ became a man. He was not pretending. He walked like a baby before he walked like a man. He thought like a baby before he thought like a man. He talked like a baby before he talked like a man. Before the Son of God proclaimed that he is the Son of Man who has come to bring the kingdom of God, he, he proclaimed goo goo gaga. He proclaimed dada and mama. He's a human. And that, that's the majesty of the incarnation that God himself would take on humanity And I tell you this is important for you to understand because the fact that Jesus has become fully human is that he understands your life. He can sympathize with you. This is what the author of Hebrews says. Did you catch that there in in verse 15? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He knows what's going on in your life because he lived that life. Every other world religion seems to present itself as a way in which you can get to God who is aloof and far off and transcendent and way above us. And we live here in a life of misery and sin and difficulty and and challenge. And just maybe God will send an angel or maybe he'll send a prophet or maybe he'll send some instruction or command. But he's certainly not going to come down in this world to get his hands dirty. But that is exactly what Christianity teaches. That Jesus came down not only get his hands dirty, but actually be come like us, to become a human that he might understand your life and my life. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, Scripture tells us, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. So you, therefore, cannot look to Jesus and say, well, you just don't understand. He does. He knows what it's like to grow up. He knows what it's like to be a teenager. Perhaps you have your, have had your family reject you or friends betray you. He understands that. He knows what it's like to have a dead end job or to be exhausted or frazzled. Maybe you're frazzled tonight. Jesus knows that. He experienced that. He knows what it's like to be lonely or homeless or hungry or poor. He knows like to be disrespected or mocked or lied to. He knows what it's like to be beaten and abused and harmed. You can't come to him and say, you don't know. He says, yes, I do. I know. I've been told when when two pianos are imperfectly in tune, if a note is struck on one piano, the same note will actually gently respond in the other piano, even though it's untouched. It's called sympathetic resonance. I think Christ's humanity is his instrument. When that note is struck in your life, he feels it in his. He understands. Beyond this intellectual understanding, beyond imagining what that must be like, he actually feels it. I appreciate John Stott who said, In a world filled with suffering and pain, I could not fathom worshiping a God who was immune to it. Christ is not. And so when you suffer, I encourage you to talk to Jesus. When you are hurt, I encourage you to talk to Jesus. When you're struggling, I encourage you to talk to Jesus. When you are tempted, I encourage you to talk to Jesus. He has become like us. You can run to him with any need and you will find there with him sympathy and understanding as his word tells us. But the amazing thing is that if that's all Jesus was like, he could could only help us so much. 
I don't want to be so helpful. Be like a good friend who says, you know, I totally get it. I understand your pain. I wish there was something I could do about it. But Jesus is not only like us and therefore understands us, but he's also different than us and therefore is able to help us. In fact, we could explore the difference in Jesus um, perhaps for eternity. How is it that he is different from us? He who has all power can do all that he wants. But the, the aspect of the, the difference of Jesus I simply want to consider just for a moment is that he has never sinned, which is quite unlike me and quite unlike you. He's different in that he never succumbed to temptation. This is what the writer says. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet... Without sin. Or Hebrews 7, we have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins. Was Jesus tempted? Yes. Did Jesus sin? No. Never. Not once. In fact, he, he really knows what it's like to be tempted because he never gave in to it. When you and I are tempted, we, we fight against it, well, I don't know, about 30 seconds. And then we give in. Well, Jesus wouldn't give in. He would fight it past that 30 seconds and fight it, fight it past the five minutes and fight it until it actually went away. He understands temptation more than any other human have, ever has. And when we're tempted, therefore, when we, when we face these temptations, we could come to Jesus and, and he could say, you know, I know how to get around this. I, I've been through this. I have felt that temptation and, and I have avoided this one myself. He can help us. He never sinned. And even when we do fail and we sin, we can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've sinned against you. And what will he say to us? He won't look at us and say, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's a huge deal. But what he will say is, I avoided that sin. I never gave into it like you did, but I'll tell you this, I also died for it. I died for it, to, that you might be forgiven from it. And so let me forgive you, and let me help you to make you more like me. Let me help you get out of this mess. Let me help you change you. This is what Jesus does. He changes us. He changes people. And so I hope you know this Christmas, that Jesus is like you, so he understands your life, and he is different from you, therefore he can help your life. In fact, I think the greatest picture of both the likeness and the difference in Jesus is in the cross, for he has died, which is very human-like. We all will die if he tarries in his second coming. We'll all face that. That's what it means to be human in, in our condition. But he is unlike us in that his death was not for his own sin, but for my sin. Because I've rejected him and I've rebelled against him and so have you. And he died upon that cross not, not to pay a punishment for himself, but to pay my punishment. This is the love of God that he would become man and die upon a cross though he had never sinned in order that all my sin would be placed upon him and he would face the wrath of God for me and for you. The writer of Hebrews says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That is to bear the wrath of God for our rejection of him. And he has done this. And so I tell you, Merry Christmas. God has become a man that he knows you and he can help you and you will find your greatest help in his cross. In fact, we come now to a time to consider and remember what he did through that cross, to rejoice and what Jesus has done for us through his crucifixion. If you're visiting with us here tonight and you're not a Christian, we're certainly glad that you are here. And we praise the Lord that you have chosen to be with us this evening. 
But we do pray that when these elements, these plates are passed by in a moment, you just simply let them pass by. Just discreetly hand them off to the, uh, to the person to your right or left, that you wouldn't participate in this. And we, we say that not to be rude. We say that to be obedient. The Bible tells us that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that this is a meal for those who have participated in the death of Christ. That is, those who have bowed their knee to King Jesus and giving their life to them. Certainly you could do that tonight, if you would like. I would rejoice if you would. In a moment, we're going to have a time of silent reflection. What a great Christmas present it would be to you to be forgiven by the one true God and to be adopted into his family. And God would become your father forever if you would simply bow your knee to him. In fact, I tell you based upon the authority of God's word that if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not my idea. It's not anybody else's idea. It's the idea that God's word gives us. It's the truth. And you could do that tonight. You could bow your knee to King Jesus, repent of your sin, and, and receive the forgiveness in which he offers you. But for the rest of us Christians, we come tonight and we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us and celebrate it. We're going to feast upon it. And though uh, we're going to feast physically, but I pray that our souls would feast much more greatly as we consider the work of Christ. In fact, you know, the Bible teaches us that this meal is a, is a memorial. It's a way to remember what Jesus has done. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is not here. Whenever we have communion, I, I like to think that though Jesus is not in the elements, as Scripture teaches us, but I think he's at the table. Don't you think he's here serving us? Just like uh, he did in that Passover meal that he served his apostles and he gave them the bread and the, and the cup. I feel like he's here tonight and he will give this to us as, as we remember that we have participated in his death. And so let's prepare ourselves, as Scripture instructs us, that we might um, repent of any sin in our life, that we might speak to the Lord. I want to just give you opportunity to pray silently as you prepare for the Lord's Supper. Let us pray together. Father, we come to this table now to celebrate grace and mercy. We, we do not come because we think we're good. We come because we think we're bad. We come because we think we're sinners and we are in need of forgiveness. We are in need of salvation. We come so with a heavy heart knowing our sin. And yet we come at the same time rejoicing in that our sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ. That he who would love us when we did not love him would come and become a baby and become a man and become our substitute as he hung upon the cross. And so we have great joy, even in the midst of sorrow for our sin tonight, that we rejoice of the work that he has done. Lord Jesus, I pray and trust that you are here with us tonight and that you would minister to us, that you would serve us as we remember that we have participated in your death through your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will the deacons now come forward as we prepare for the Lord's Supper? <laughs>